everyone welcome into another episode of the mls bench podcast i am joey and today we have a very very special episode for all of you the other night i was thinking uh you know with all this transfer window craziness that's going on we really should spend a lot more time on it than just you know 10 minutes here or there at the end of a show and especially because we had so much news i'm recording this friday so you know yesterday thursday the deadline and even wednesday after me and andres recorded we just we didn't cover it enough and we didn't do it justice. So I thought, you know, what would be better than to bring in some experts and we can talk about this uh, in a series of interviews. So that's exactly what I have set up for today. First, we have Tim Sullivan. You've heard him before in this podcast. He hosts the podcast Club and Country, which focuses on Nashville SC and he's extremely smart. And so we'll talk about the Shaq Moore and Jacob Schaffelberg deals and, you know, how they can affect that team. Then I'll talk to Alicia Rodriguez, who is an L.A.-centered soccer writer for SB Nation. This is going to be an insane conversation because we have so much to talk about. All of F- LAFC's moves, the Galaxy, uh, you know, having a couple center midfielder deals in the last couple days. So between all of that, that's going to be an absolutely jam-packed interview. And to finish it off, I'll talk to Chris Bills. You guys have heard him before on the first episode of MLS Bench. He was our first guest. An Austin FC beat writer for the Striker. He knows a ton about them. Might also ask him a few questions about Dallas and Houston and their transfer window exploits as well. It's a ridiculously packed episode. So many fun things to talk about. I'm really excited for this to talk to all these smart people who know a ton about their clubs. And so, without further ado, I'll send it to my first interview with Tim Sullivan to talk about Nashville SC. So, hey, everyone. I mentioned that I was going to talk to uh, Tim Sullivan. He's been on the pod before about Nashville. They made a couple big moves, you know, centered, about, centered around that right back position and on that left flank. So, Tim, uh, how's it going? I know you're joining us from an inferior time zone, but it's nice to talk to you. <laughs> it is the best and most important time zone. I'll tell you that right now. It's, uh, it's very good to be here. Thanks for having me, Joey. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for, do- thanks for doing this on uh, short notice. So we mentioned this when we were talking a few pods back about the impending move for Shaq Moore from Tenerife that officially went down a few days after we talked to you. And... He moves uh, to Nashville from Tenerife, over 100 appearances for that club after failing to uh, get promoted to La Liga, really replacing Eric Miller. That's basically a straight like-for-like swap on that right back, and he just uh, got his first minutes for Nashville. Was it the last game? Uh, A few caps for the USMNT as well. Yeah, he's played two games now. Yeah, two games. Yeah, yeah. So I guess we can just start by breaking down this move. What does this mean for Nashville? How important of a move was this? And... I guess, what impact do you think this is going to have um, on the team moving forward? You know, when they sold Alistair Johnston in the preseason, it was a move that was the right move to make at the time. The, they got what they believed, and I think probably is accurately much more than um, market value for him. The problem was they had planned to bring in a basically an upgrade at right back before the season began. That didn't happen, and um, while we knew it was going to be Shaq Moore for a really long time, as you mentioned, we, you and I just talked about this before um, it became official. It was just a matter of making it happen. Um, Tenerife was in the middle of a promotion battle, as you mentioned, and so they wanted to hold on to him until the end of the uh, of the season in over there in Spain. Um, but you know, it probably would have gotten rid of him either way. They they couldn't afford him if they stayed in La Liga too. 
um, and they needed an upgrade if they moved up to La Liga. So Nashville kind of knew that he was going to be available at the end of the season one way or the other and, and kept those lines of communication open. And eventually, um, I, I think they uh, would have liked to have it happen sooner, but they did get their upgrade at right back, I would say, and they ultimately basically profited from from the exchange as well. So that's a big deal. In terms of what he brings, um, he's a true fullback in a way that Nashville doesn't really have on the roster, I guess. Um, you mentioned Eric Miller, and he is a, a true right back, but uh, you can pretty clearly upgrade on him with a, with players who are not up to Shaq Moore's level. <laughs> so there's something to be said for um, you know the style of player and the quality of player. Nashville had been going with a lot of uh, five back over the course of the season, and they were kind of shoehorning a winger Alex Muel into that right wing back position. This will allow them to go with a, a formation that this club has been more comfortable with over the years. They've gone to a five back at times, but they've been a base four, two, three, one club as, as a lot of teams in MLS and around the world are right now. This allows them to have a, a true fullback to put at that right back spot and perform at it at a high level. And the main upgrade that he's going to bring over, you know, anybody who's available right now is that he's a, he is a true kind of attacking threat. He can cross with the best of them. And that's something that, um, in Nashville's attack where they, they want to kind of pull defenders wide so that they can open up space for Honey Mukhtar to create or for a striker to kind of just finish wide service. You need the wide service, and that's what Shaq Moore is, is going to bring. And, and he's going to be, you know, at, at worst, equal defensively to what they've had at that position so far this year. So kind of an upgrade all around. Yeah, definitely an upgrade all around. I didn't see a ton of details about this at the time, and Nashville hasn't really clarified it all. Do you know what kind of deal he's on? Yeah, so he's on he's on a TAM deal. Um, he was bought for about a two million dollar uh, transfer fee, but um, Nashville was able to buy that down with targeted or uh, I think yeah targeted allocation money. Um, and so he's he's going to be kind of a, a middle tier um, TAM range sort of guy. Right. Yeah. Thanks for that. And I guess is it worth it because you know a TAM deal is semi-significant obviously you know they need an improvement at right back and they got him do you think that there was another way to you know get that improvement or do you think you know it was going to come through Shaq Moore the entire way yeah I mean they they singled in on Shaq Moore pretty early so it's hard to say exactly if it could have been done another way um, in terms of how they were thinking it was it was we are thinking for this specific move I think to get the caliber of player that they wanted at that position um, the defensive solidity is so important to a Gary Smith team. And then adding a little bit of attacking punch is, is so important to get a Gary Smith team as well because you need the defenders to defend first and foremost, but they have to get involved in the attack if you're going to have a little bit more diversity then. Let's get the ball to Honey Mukhtar and see what he does, which has been a little bit too much uh, over the course of this year. But in terms of the caliber of player they were going to get, it was going to take um, some amount of TAM. I think it probably makes more sense for them to go international. Obviously, if they had known that Julian Gressel was going to be available, he's the sort of guy that they would have loved to trade for. Um, the, the Moore deal was already basically signed, sealed, and delivered by the time the Gressel uh, deal to Vancouver happened, so that wouldn't have been an option. But I do think, you know, had they had the had the kind of crystal ball saying, "Hey, Gressel's going to be available," they might have kept their options open a little bit. But it's it really is just that sort of deal. And, and Gressel went for. I think like 1.2 million in, in general allocation money. So the overall expenditure is probably not that different for a, a pretty similar player. Yeah. And, uh, you know, as we're all USMNT fans, we're going to remember his kind of emergency flight to Orlando and his, uh, you know, solid performance against Panama in that must win game. Um, I guess lastly on more, 
what kind of improvement is he? Is he just going to be, you know, a position, like a positional improvement will help out the defense a little bit? Or do you think that, you know, his, what he can bring over and Eric Miller, for example, is so great that it can propel Nashville to, you know, a level that they might not have been able to achieve otherwise? I think defensively he is, he is a slight upgrade. What he really does change is, is how they're able to attack. Nashville's attack has been okay this year in terms of creation. They haven't been finishing very well. Um, we, can, we can get into many debates about whether that's luck or, <laughs> or if finishing is a skill and all those sorts of things. But the big picture is they do want more help for Hani Mukhtar. And even though Moore is, is not a guy who's going to cut in and, and shoot a whole lot, um, he is a guy who is going to, to help uh, a CJ Sapong, for example, get that headed service um, and, and kind of create, you know, just by being in the box. And that's something that has historically been important. So I think actually, while he is a defensive upgrade, what he allows the attack to do is probably the bigger picture. He is going to make it so um, that it isn't just the Hani Mukhtar show. Um, Hani Mukhtar is obviously not a guy who's going to latch onto a ton of, of um, lofted balls and, and head them into the net. But um, you know, pulling the defense wider, um, the opposing defense wider is going to be something that opens up more space for Hani. And then you, you do have the service from Shaq that can really kind of allow the other guys around um, who are, you know, taller guys, better aerial threats, et cetera, to, to take some of the pressure off Hani in terms of scoring, in terms of creation. Yeah, and that's going to be absolutely crucial. So I guess we can move on from more and kind of on the flip side of that deal, which we knew was going to be coming down the pipe at some point. Mm -hmm. This move for Jacob Schaffelberg from Toronto kind of materialized in the last week or so. Uh, he comes in from Toronto, 47 appearances for that club, uh, 225,000 in GAM. He's young. He's only 22. So he can kind of play the left wing. He's played left back. Uh, he did at the beginning of the season for Toronto. So, you know, some flexibility there. Do you think he's going to start? What minutes do you think he's going to get? And do you think he's going to be an improvement over anything that um, Nashville can offer on that side? It'll be interesting to see how much he does play because, um, you know, from a skill perspective, he might not necessarily be a massive upgrade over anybody that they have. But there are two things that he brings, and that's a stylistic difference from the guys that they have. He is the sort of winger who wants to kind of make those runs in behind. Um, not the most technical guy, but he does have kind of an attacking mindset. And that's something that, again, to take pressure off Hani Mukhtar, they really want. Another thing is he's left-footed. There's not a left-footed attacker on this team, and that is going to be one of his primary selling points when he's trying to kind of campaign for playing time. If you need a guy to serve it in from the left, or if you need a guy who can play on the right and cut in and shoot with his left. Schaffelberg is, is kind of finally the guy who can bring that. Where he fits kind of in the, in the formation in the system is going to be interesting because Nashville traditionally plays with inverted wingers, and I think it probably makes more sense to play him on the right as an inverted winger now that you have a guy like Shaq who's, who's going to want to get all the way up that right touch line. So that's, I think that probably because you land Shaq more, then you feel like a guy like Schaffelberg makes sense for you, and that's where it really comes into play. I do think it's going to be, he can't play against Toronto because um, he's on loan. So it's a player that, um, you know, by rule, you can't play against your parent club um, when you're loaned to a different MLS team. So that's, you know, that aside, I think he's going to kind of blossom into some playing time, but I do think he's going to be a little bit more of a depth option that gets some significant minutes than, um, you know, a guy who's a potential locked on starter who, who might kind of get rest here and there. He kind of falls on the other end of the spectrum where he's, where he's pushing for playing time rather than kind of assuming that he ends up having a bunch of playing time. 
yeah, that was kind of my take on it too, because you know, 225 isn't an insignificant amount of GAM, and we've seen that he's proved himself over a few years now at Toronto. But you know, where does he fit in that national picture is going to be the question. Do you think that this move is worth it overall? Um, you know, I guess you have to counterbalance the amount that you pay and kind of the dilemma that it will cause with who do you start and that kind of the the now added weight, I guess, on um, you know, the coach, the coaching staff as a whole, and you know the team. Like, how does he fit in? And also, just you know, the fact that this can provide extra depth. How do you kind of weigh those two? Yeah, I think it's it's a good signing for for the reasons that I mentioned of what he does bring. It does provide some of those questions. Um, the, 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 I think one thing that you don't really um, necessarily think is is obvious on, on its face is that he's a homegrown player for Toronto. He's going to occupy a homegrown slot for Nashville because Hendwala Buana has aged out of it this year. But I think that that is a big part of the expense. Nashville paid more than market value for Buono when they traded Seattle for him because they don't have uh, an academy that is producing pros yet. And you have to have a homegrown player to fill slots 29 and 30 on your roster. So Schaffelberg can fill one of those slots. So if you kind of think of it, Nashville is spending, you know, probably 125 of that 225 thinking we are buying a, a roster slot that wouldn't exist otherwise. And then, you know, the remaining 100 or whatever for the player. However you want to distribute those numbers, it's not all just here is for Jacob Schaffelberg. Some of it is to create a roster slot uh, against the, the MLS roster maximum rules because you do have to have homegrown players. So that's a big factor, too. And that's something that makes me think it is a loan with a purchase option. I think the purchase option is essentially going to be Toronto letting him go after the year. So Nashville has essentially, I would say, bought the player for 225 um, in GAM. So that, that's kind of a, another indication that, hey, yes, he's going to play a little bit this year, but this could be a guy that they expect to develop for the future. They've done that. Um, Buana is a guy that they did it with. Um, he hasn't necessarily developed exactly like uh, they thought he would because he's been hurt a lot. Um, if Shuffleberg can stay healthy, he could be kind of, you know, perhaps the first homegrown success story. Um, I think Alex Muel actually had one or two years of, of homegrown uh, eligibility left when they traded for him <clears throat> from the New York Red Bulls. But um, Schaffelberg's a guy who's a couple years younger than than Wheel was when he came over. And I think there's kind of a, a longer term plan rather than just, hey, let's plug him in and, and see if we can have this guy count on a playoff run. Yeah. And I guess final question um, on Schaffelberg, is he going to be able to come in right away in the next game or two? And whether it be off the bench or starting, do you think he's going to be able to contribute? Yeah, I think that's the case. I think, um, you know, again, you can't play against uh, Toronto this weekend, but I think going forward, he's going to get immediate minutes, whether those are bench minutes. I think his, his most obvious initial use would be as kind of a, a late game attacking sub. We've seen Nashville use Luke Hawkinson, um, another young guy in that role. I think Schaffelberg is going to be kind of thrown into that same pot where he's, hey, we need to go late or um, we need a guy who, who who at least provides a little bit of, of, of field stretching vertically uh, late in a game, whether that's to, to try and find a goal or to close out a game that they're leading, whatever the case may be. Schaffelberg probably has the opportunity to fill some of those minutes right away. Yeah, uh, and that's going to be good for that club as well. I guess we have those two transfers now. Those are the big ones. I just kind of, yeah, recapping this window, I guess. Do you think that anything that needed to be addressed wasn't addressed? Do you think that the team was close on anything and didn't get it done? What are your kind of overall thoughts on this window? Yeah, they had maybe higher sights for attacking players, Um as the window opened, it was clear pretty early that none of their their ideas were really going to come to fruition. So they would have liked to add another attacking piece. 
that was probably higher profile than Schaffelberg. That didn't happen. It really does depend on, on exactly how effective Moore can be. He's looked good in his, um, you know, hundred some minutes so far. So maybe that um, provides kind of the the width that they need to open up the attack for other players, and they've gotten enough. But otherwise, I, I, I think you could you could very easily say, hey, they would have been a heck of a lot happier <laughs> if they had landed. Um, you know, kind of a major attacking piece. But um, yeah, I think that would be the, the big picture. And then uh, honestly, you know, in future transfer windows, that's going to be the big picture as well as they need attacking help. It can't just be Hani Mukhtar and whichever striker he's trying to set up for goals. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess final question, what do you think the state of this team is moving forward? Do you think that they are cup contenders? Do you think that they're, you know, jostling for playoff position? How do you see this team? And did these transfers impact the way that you see them at all? The more one is hard to say if it impacted because it was essentially a foregone conclusion. So I've just kind of said, you know, from game one, I said, okay, yeah, midseason, this will be a team that has Shaq Moore. So, so it's hard because it's so ingrained in my mind. The The transfers do help this team, no question. Moore especially. They really help the team. Uh, in terms of where they fit overall, it's weird because they feel like a team that is better than they are on the table. They've been in the, kind of the midst of a, a really kind of ugly slump, a lot of drawn games where they had taken an early lead. Um, that's something that this club hadn't historically done. And the fact that they've done that, you know, six or seven times in the past month and a half, is that just who they are now? Or is it a slump? Um, I feel like it's probably a slump more than who they are now. And if that's the case, you know, they snap out of it and you end up having a team that has played themselves out of out of supporter shield contention, but could pretty easily be challenging for a home playoff game, at least in the first round. Um, if they do snap out of the slump, I think they're a near lock for the playoffs and, and more and, and potentially Schaffelberg do play a role in helping get there. Yeah, you mentioned about that slump uh, since the beginning of July. So right after their Open Cup loss, um, it's been one win, uh, four draws and two losses. This mm-hmm. team, when we talked uh, somewhere, I think it was middle of July, uh, Tim, they were sitting third in the West. And I think this is more of a testament of how close that race is. They're now sitting sixth, but they're only two points out of third. And, you know, the gap from third to literally ninth is five points. So we're talking razor thin margins. But I, I agree with you that when you incorporate these transfers, it should be enough um, to get this team over the line. And we've seen in you know, previous years that they do have the talent uh, to get it done. Um, obviously now in the West, not in the East, but still. Uh, thanks so much for joining me, Tim. And I guess I'll let you, you know, plug your podcast, Club and Country. Yeah, you can find it wherever you download pods. Um, ClubCountryUSA.com is, is another place to find it. But yeah, Club and Country, I, uh, I have produced it with uh, my, my co-podcast host, Wes Bowling, who's the radio voice for Nashville SC. Um, we are the, the market leader in Nashville SC coverage across multiple multiple media disciplines so uh check us out yeah unbelievable coverage of nashville thank you uh for you know hopping on on short notice tim and helping us out uh yeah thank you so much yep we'll talk to you soon once again thanks so much to tim for that conversation he's just so knowledgeable about nashville so whenever i can you know pick his brain about this stuff it's uh, a treat for me and hopefully for you the listeners as well so nashville done we're going to move on now to two of the teams that made some of the biggest impact over this transfer window in LAFC, obviously, and also the LA Galaxy. And I'll talk to Alicia Rodriguez of SB Nation. She knows a ton about these two teams, and this should be a really, really fun conversation. So without further ado, here's my interview with her. 
So, hello everyone. Uh, I mentioned that I will be talking with Alicia Rodriguez of SB Nation uh, on both LA teams because they made such a big impact in this transfer window. So, Alicia, how's it going? And really excited to talk some crazy transfer stuff with you. Yeah, thanks for having me on. It's been a very active window, uh, much more active than I think we were expecting. Yeah, uh, LAFC in particular. Wow. And I guess I'll just start with them and I'll go in kind of chronological order with their big signings. The first one really being the bomb that dropped kind of in the spring was Giorgio Chiellini moving in from Juventus, an absolute legend there, over 500 appearances, a ton of trophies at that club, a Euro winner, coming in on a TAM deal. I wasn't really sure how this was going to play out, and we'll get into this in a little bit, the center back dilemma with that club. But initially, what were your first thoughts on this deal and how did you you know, know about this going down? Yeah, it's definitely a risky signing, but I think a calculated risk. And I think for the kind of player and uh, person that Chiellini is, it it made sense to take a plunge on this. He he didn't seem like a guy who was going to uh, just show up and and skate by. Um, You know, he said that he literally did his homework in coming to this league. He watched all of LAFC's games and a bunch of other games around uh, MLS besides um, to really get a grasp. And I think that in the early games, we've seen that so far um, in terms of his performances. So, um, you know, it's it's very early, but early returns are, are pretty solid for him. Yeah, you know, some of the interviews that he's been doing since he came, you know, just like he shows that deep knowledge of the league, which is super impressive because, you know, any MLS fan will know that that's not the case with every player that comes in. Um, I am interested in kind of you know, picking your brain about the center back rotation. There's five center backs between Chiellini, Murillo, Ibiaga, Segura, Mamadou Fall. All have kind of gotten minutes here or there, but really it seems to be Chiellini and Murillo seem to be the, the pairing. But Chiellini's been subbed uh, in the second half of every game so far. So how do you think that this team, you know, what's the rotation going to be moving forward and how are they going to, you know, balance having all these pretty talented center backs? Yeah, I think prior to Chiellini's arrival, there was, um, you know, a, a good amount of rotation to begin with. So uh, Fall and Mario played the the bulk of the minutes together um, in the first half of the season. Uh, Ibiaga has been getting minutes. Sigor has just come back from a torn ACL. Um, so he's still kind of working up to fitness. Uh, they had been missing him. Um, and then Fall's kind of been out of the mix lately, So, which is pretty intriguing because uh, he may be one of the best young prospects in MLS right now. Um, so I'm not sure if he's uh, having some, you know, maturity issues or if it's just a matter of, uh, you know, keeping legs fresh. We'll have to see as, as the season wears on. But um, they definitely roll pretty deep. That's been a problem in the past for LAFC is, is they haven't had enough center backs. And uh, to an extent, maybe they've gone a little bit overboard. But I think it's one of those positions where, honestly, you can't have enough uh you know, adequate center backs if, if you are really competing for titles. And we've seen in the past when, you know, you get one guy who gets a major injury and then another guy has a hamstring injury. And then before long, you're playing a right back and a midfielder in that position. And that's a pretty risky thing to do. Yeah. And I must confess as a union fan, like we're one of the few teams that like doesn't really need center backs at this point in time, because we've got two great ones, but for most teams in the league, they would happily take any of these center backs on their team right now. So that's a good thing to have. I am interested in Mamadou Fall specifically as it relates to the Chiellini move, because he hasn't played any MLS minutes since Chiellini's come on and really started uh, getting into the rotation. He only just played in that, um, the, the friendly, uh, in was it Tuesday? So, do you think that 
he's going to you know slide back into the rotation sometime soon because he is one to watch for the future. One of the best you know center back talents certainly in the league, if not the world. Yeah, as I mentioned earlier, I mean I, I'm pretty high on him, so I, I hope he gets back into the mix. Um, I, I think there will be some some movement around, and you know some of it's just a matter of kind of seeing what fits at this point in the season. Um, you know how are guys' loads going? How are things looking with the playoffs approaching? Things like that. But um, I think he's just too good of a player to you know really park on the bench for a long time. So I hope he, he's back soon. Yeah, I, I am with you on that one. I guess we'll transition now to the one that is certainly the marketing move for this team and the one that was really, really big, the, the Gareth Bale move coming in from Real Madrid, where he had fallen out of favor in the last year or so. But, you know, all those Champions Leagues, uh, the the bite kick in the Champions League final, over 200 appearances for that club, over 100 goals, just a multitude of trophies, a serial winner. How does he fit into this team now? We've seen him come on in the last couple games, all off the bench, scored versus Nashville. So, you know, Early returns are pretty positive, but haven't been, you know, maybe even Chiellini levels of good. So I'm interested in, you know, how do you think, how you see him fitting in with this team? Because it seems to be so-so um, from this point. Yeah, I think his situation is a little bit different than Chiellini's. Uh, for starters, I think if you have attackers elsewhere who are, you know, getting the goals, then you don't really need to necessarily be banging in lots of goals right away. Um, on top of that, so Chiellini played, you know, most of the last season uh, for Juventus. In contrast, Bill barely played for Real Madrid last season. So um, on one hand, he is fresh. And on the other, he uh, is probably pretty rusty. And um, LASC head coach Steve Trundolo has said that uh, he's in preseason right now. So um, I think they're going to do a pretty long runway to get him into starting and, and playing real, real minutes. Um, although I do expect that's probably coming before the end of the season. I think so far it's been uh, pretty solid. He's had some good touches. Obviously, he, he scored the one goal so far, and that was a, uh, a pretty good goal. Um, I definitely think that there's high expectations, but I think he also has the luxury, again, of um, other players are performing right now. So uh, he doesn't have a mountain of pressure on him at the moment, and uh, that's working out pretty well, I think, for everyone. Yeah, I'd certainly say it's working out pretty well. I am interested in seeing where will he pr- uh, play because – I believe it was versus the Sounders. He came on, played more of a nine off the bench. We know, obviously, he can play winger, but they also have a ton of wingers with Vela and you know company as well. Chicho Arango still there. He's been playing the nine. So, where do you think he fits in? Do you think he could play you know some kind of like a dual role where we might see him in different spots? How do you see him you know fitting in? Yeah, I think to an extent, Bale probably has the luxury of uh, being a player who can kind of call his own shot. Um, you know, and, and sort of float around uh, on the field is what I mean. So, um, you know, I think there will be some expectation of, of doing some defending from the front, but clearly he's not on there to really chew up ground and uh, spend most of, his, most of his time defending. It's it's more that he's working on the attacking end. Um, I think probably starting, it's more likely we're going to see him uh, more on the wide uh, forward positions, the winger positions, but um, I also am, I would not be shocked if he does play some some nine, um, even from the start at times. Um, again, I think Torundolo has done a really good job of uh, rotating the squad, uh, rotating players around, but also it gives a different look. So um, if they're gearing up for, you know, these all important playoff uh, games coming up, you know, if you get some looks of, of Bale at the nine, some looks of Bella at the nine, um, you can kind of see how the players interact with each other. 
Um, and I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, maybe in the playoffs, we see a little bit of a different look to try and, and throw an opponent off. Yeah. And obviously you still have Brian Rodriguez, a Poku as well. So a ton of talented wingers kind of, that's definitely analogous to that center back position. Um, why did, I guess it's, it's a weird question and Bale's kind of half answered it, but I'm interested if you have any more perspective, why did you choose LAFC? There are so many clubs that could have, you know, taken his services gladly. So why do you choose LAFC in the run up to the World Cup? That's going to be the defining moment of his career. Well, I think the timing actually is probably the biggest reason um, because the World Cup's going to be uh, at the end of the MLS season. It's pretty seamless to join an MLS team and then go to the World Cup. You won't have to interrupt a league campaign or anything like that, and then have to come right back and. Uh, you know, get right back into the the mix in, you know, the league campaign right in the middle of the season. Um, I think, you know, the appeals of Los Angeles and living in the United States, probably um, having the opportunity to be a little more anonymous and uh, not get mobbed every time he goes out. You know, those are things that megastars really appreciate when they come to MLS in the United States. Um, and then also, I think uh, there had been a lot of links with him to uh, I, I believe it was Cardiff City. Um, I think that was his hometown club. Uh, the problem with that is they play like, what is it, 46, 48 league games um, a season. That's a huge burden uh, on a player, especially a player who um, may be a very good player, but he has had his share of muscle injuries over the years. So I think kind of the, I think most thought he was going to go back to Wales and, and play for the hometown club. But I think honestly, the uh, circumstances around that maybe weren't ideal. And so he thought, Hey, I'll take a flyer, uh, come to the U S you know, sort of enjoy the sunshine for a bit and, um, get ready for the world cup. Yeah. And, and if you contrast L- LAFC and Cardiff city, I mean, it's just night and day. You have 46 league games, middle tier team in the championship, just a crazy style of play. Yeah. I, if I were him, I would rather this LAFC move for sure. And just a few minutes ago, LAFC officially announced, Tom Bogert was really first on it yesterday, uh, that Dennis Buenga from St. Etienne, over 100 appearances for that club, uh, is going to come in, reported 5 mil fee, was that's what Bogert had yesterday. For a little context, St. Etienne went down in the relegation playoff. People might have seen those images of the fans storming the field and going crazy. He was on that team, um, and he actually just played their first League 2 game, got sent off. So that's a little interesting thing there as well. He's 27, so not a super young player, but I think a player that could definitely help this team. I think interestingly, though, we we look at him kind of fitting in with all those other attacking pieces that we mentioned. First, how do you see this signing? And second, do you think that this means that we might be in a Chicho Arango odd man out situation? Yeah, it's an interesting signing because I think he plays the wide forward role pretty seamlessly. And so uh, I'd be surprised if he necessarily supplants Arango, unless we're talking about Vela or uh, Bale moving into the number nine role, because I don't think Arango is going to play as a wide forward. Um, Buanga, they had talked about with signing a third designated player, which it's going to be interesting because I think there's going to be a a bit of musical chairs down the line for this club, potentially. But uh, they wanted a, a designated player who they both thought they could use right away, but also not somebody who was such a superstar that um, they were going to need to move, you know, everyone aside to, to put him in the lineup, right? So I think Buanga kind of fits that uh, role pretty perfectly. He's a little bit older than some of the other uh, designated players that they've signed, um, but he's still young enough that he should be in his prime. Obviously, if it doesn't work out, then it's going to be a lot harder to move him on later. Um, so that is a little bit of a risk. But 
Um, I think the idea is that they want a guy who's going to stick around for quite a while and and not you know rush back in a year or two. Um, if if that's the case, then that would mean that he's hopefully playing pretty well and, and contributing well. Um, but yeah, it's it's intriguing. Um, I think it's a little bit of the rich get richer, and it's going to be really interesting to see how uh, the pieces fit. But again, I think this team is really predicated on having a lot of depth and um, giving players playing time across the the board. So I do think he will play some minutes, but I don't think he's going to start every game or anything like that. I think he's going to be coming in and out of the lineup. Okay. That's, yeah, that's interesting. Um, and I, we'll see what deal he ends up getting if it is that, that DP deal that we talked about and you know what pressures that could add as well. Uh, I am interested because We've seen some, you know, not necessarily from Bogert or from Stagecoal, but from, you know, some of the other reporters that Arango was maybe kind of on the the chopping block at one point. We hadn't really, you know, nothing was really confirmed about that. And he's still with the club. What do you know about that? And how do you kind of assess his role in this club? Yeah, it's been uh, pretty intriguing and puzzling, I would say that, you know, all the rumors that have been piling up about uh, a potential move for Arango. And it was unclear if um, the trajectory was that he was going to be transferred out of the league entirely, or if he was going to be traded elsewhere in MLS. But um, I definitely think there was some smoke to it. Um, I think what happened was uh, Steve Turner seems a little bit lukewarm on Arango. Um, You know, he's, he's challenged the player to, uh, step up his energy level and uh, I think to an extent his soccer IQ in terms of like uh, defensive responsibilities because I think as the number nine and with uh, older players around him uh, he's going to have to take on a little bit of a bigger burden in that regard but the fact is the guy has been on a heater lately and once he started really getting regular minutes he was scoring you know pretty much every game um, and perhaps not coincidentally uh, that chatter about him, you know, being moved on kind of died down. I'm not going to say for sure that he's safe and he's not going anywhere. Clearly, he's not going anywhere within MLS, but um, it does look like he's basically played for his job. And at this point, it looks like he uh, has kept it. And if he can keep scoring, he's going to keep getting on the field. Um, but certainly it's been a little bit puzzling from the outside because he looks like a player who uh, has done everything that you would want out of a, a central striker. Um but we'll see how it goes. And, you know, it may be a situation where he just needed a little more motivation and maybe Trundolo is, is, is sly in this regard and kind of knew that he needed uh, some chatter around him to, to really get the best out of him. And, you know, maybe wasn't necessarily looking to actually get rid of him, but wanted to challenge him publicly to see if he could step it up. And if that's the case, it seems to be working pretty well. Um, but hopefully he's also getting some respect behind the scenes and he's not just being, uh, trashed within <laughs> within the locker room or the coaches' meetings. Let's, let's hope so. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and that's been our coverage on this podcast and around kind of MLS circles is like he scored nine goals, assisted two. Like he's done everything that you would want on the field uh, to not even be in the discussion to get shopped. So, yeah. And, and one more on LAFC before we quickly hit the Galaxy. You know, this, and obviously they moved on Musovsky, brought in Jackson Mendoza, those are kind of like auxiliary deals, at least compared to the other ones. Do all these moves, because there's been so many, you know, solidify them as the, you know, premier favorites for both the Supporter Shield and the Cup in your mind? And also, like, we're getting to the level, is this the best assembled team in, like, the history of the league in terms of depth and those, you know, star pieces? Yeah, I think to the first question, they're definitely, they should be front runners for the Supporter Shield. They are leading the Supporter Shield race with, I think, a game in hand on, on the closest teams to them. Um 
you know, it, at this point, the expectation is they should be winning the Shield. Um, I know that their goal is to win MLS Cup as well. And obviously, in the past, they've had some stumbles with uh, winning in the playoffs, particularly against the Sounders. Um, I think if they come up against the Sounders in the playoffs again, it's, it's going to be a big, you know, a really tough game, um, as it always is. But um, no, I think the expectation at this point is they should be, you know, reaching the final at the very least and uh, really giving it a go. Um, if, if they do anything short of that, it's going to be a, a real disappointment, obviously. In terms of depth and is this the best team? I mean, on paper, they look pretty darn good, but obviously, you know, it, it may be the weaselly way out of it, but we need to see how they come together, how the results come together before we can, you know, make these definitive declarations on, on a team that we've only seen on paper so far. But from what we have seen with the pieces that have been around and then the additional players, um, they look pretty darn good and it's, it's really intriguing. And so far it's been fun to watch them this season. Yeah. Yeah. And I completely get your point about we have to see how they play on the field 100%, but on paper, it looks pretty good. As we move to the Galaxy, you know, LAFC had really been the club, maybe in all of MLS, to really dominate that transfer window coverage. But in the last 72 hours or so, the Galaxy have picked it up, uh, moving Rayon Revelison to Auxerre, the newly promoted League One side, which beat Buenga's uh, team in the playoff. 48 appearances, eight goals for the Galaxy over the last two seasons or so. Definitely a bright spot in the midst of some, you know, shaky times for the Galaxy, but I think deserving of a move to the top flight in France. And then I guess kind of to offset that move, maybe the Revelison deal was a necessity based on, you know, bringing in Ricky Puig, a youngster from Barcelona, never really got a whole ton of starting time with Barca, but some appearances off the bench, a Barca lifer in the academy as well. 22 and on a TAM deal, I think is an absolute steal. So, I guess I'll start by asking Puig, do you think he's an upgrade over Revelison and what can he bring that's different than what Rayon brought to the Galaxy? Yeah, I think they're different, a little bit different players. Um, Revelison, I think, was a player that they were trying to uh, plug and play and it just wasn't fitting with what they were trying to do. Um, it's pretty obvious when he first joined the club, they were in desperate need of goals. It was right around the time that several internationals went away for international duty and it was like, okay, let's just like get it up in the mixer and see what happens. And he kept scoring um, when he arrived. And then uh, I guess, you know, based on needs must, uh, he got moved back into a much more defensive role. And, you know, I think he can do a job, but I don't think that that's his best role. And this season, as he was being moved further forward gradually on the field, uh, no coincidence, he was playing a lot better, um, you know, so I think it kind of hurts a little bit to lose Revelison. I mean, obviously they're bringing in uh, another player and a player with a much higher profile, but um, I think like Mark Delgado has done a really good job in the midfield this year. He's been an addition to the club. And, um, but I do think that to an extent, it's like, I understand they had to make the move uh, to, to move Revelison out. I think he's going to appreciate going uh, back to France and, and playing in Ligue 1, but with Pooj, I, I think he's going to be a player who is going to be much more on the front foot, and I think he's going to be given the luxury of getting to play more on the front foot. Um, so that's probably going to be beneficial for him. But the Galaxy needs somebody to help pull the strings. I think the idea is hopefully a Barcelona midfielder can pull the strings and set up chances for his teammates and hopefully really unlock the attack because that's been a problem. At the same time, the playmakers that the Galaxy do have on their roster uh, pretty much cannot defend, 
you know, for beans. And so that's been a real liability for the club this year. So if Pooch can come in, actually do some defensive work, um, you know, really elevate in that regard, as well as contribute on the attacking end, um, then obviously he's going to be pretty uh, impactful. But uh, this is a swing for the fences kind of move uh, for a team that's like desperate to make the playoffs. So he really needs to bet in and, and kind of uh, hit the ground pretty quickly. Yeah, 100%. And I think the hope is that he can play in front of Gaston Brugman, who they just newly brought in, um, uh, the defensive midfielder. So I, I think maybe that'll give him a little more freedom is probably the hope. But yeah, with Brugman, I, I think that's kind of already been spoken about in terms of, you know, he's a really good defensive midfielder brought in from Europe. He can do the job. I think with Puig, it's definitely going to be that more creativity aspect of it. Do you think it's more of a straight swap? And then I guess moving, just focusing on Puig now, how good do you think he can be in this league? Because he's still young and room to grow for sure. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess, again, I think we're going to see a little more in terms of roles in the midfield. It's not going to be quite as like loosey-goosey as it's been. Um, I think it's going to be much more kind of regimented and, and segmented. Um, and that should help everyone. Like, for example, Delgado, I think, is, is a really good box-to-box midfielder. So he can kind of be the link uh, man between the other two. But um, I think it's going to be a lot more defined moving forward. And then in terms of um, Pooja's ceiling, I mean, you know, he was a player who was getting playing time for Barcelona. So that seems like a pretty good, you know, pretty good uh, resume to come in with. Of course, there are the other sides of it, which is, you know, when he was playing for Barcelona, um, they were struggling. Uh, they struggled in the transfer market and they were bringing youngsters through in order to kind of fill in the gaps for a while. Um, you know, that may not be any uh, indictment on him whatsoever. Uh, I know the fans were not very high on him, but I also think that some of the fans in, you know, Barcelona fans uh, maybe were a little bit unfair. <laughs> so we'll have to see. I think it's 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 a risk. Um, you know, I think if Puj was really like top, top, he wouldn't have come to MLS, right? So on some level, he has something to prove. Um, I think he has the potential to be a best 11 caliber player, but it's time for him to, you know, show that he can be a best 11 caliber player. And if if he is, then I think he can get a move back to Europe if he wants one, you know, in, in pretty short order. Yeah, and I think it's worth mentioning that Barca clearly think that he can be a solid player. I think it was a 50% sell-on fee I saw. So, you know, that's that's placing a supreme amount of confidence in this player that he can be something as his career develops. Lastly, it's, you know, with Brugman coming in, you know, that that's an added piece with Puy kind of with Ravellis and moving out. It, it's a little interesting in terms of, you know, all those moving pieces within the midfield, but nothing else really changed on that team. So do you think that this improves them to be at least a team on another level that maybe they can now challenge for the cup or make a run in the playoffs? Or do you think they're kind of still, you know, bottom half maybe of the playoff places? Um, I think at this moment, without seeing the reconstituted team play yet, uh, definitely the goal is to make the playoffs. Um, I think the good news was, even though I they pretty clearly were up against it in terms of, um, you know, tr- uh, salary cap flexibility, like I don't think they really had much of any um, two of their designated players have been underperforming this year, uh, frankly. Um, you know, I think they saw the writing on the wall that if they had stood pat, uh, they were going to struggle to even reach the playoffs. And they've been struggling to reach the playoffs uh, and not reaching the playoffs uh, quite a bit lately. So that's that's job number one. 
Um, I know for a, a, a club as um, celebrated as the Galaxy, merely reaching the playoffs is not good enough, right? For the fan base, they they expect more, and, and they should, but they need to make the playoffs first. If they make playoffs, then, you know, anything goes. Like, we can see, obviously, in this league that uh, with the, the one-and-done format, um, any team could potentially get hot and, and really make a run, but um, I'm not yet ready to say that they're, you know, they've really leapt up a step. Um, I think they have potential, and I think it's possible that they could p- play better than they've been playing, but that also requires the remaining parts to step up to a large extent and then have the newcomers uh, really bet in and, and um, perform quickly as well. Yeah, I think that's fair. And But as you mentioned, when you get in the playoffs, you have players like Chicharito, Jovalic, who's on fire right now, the wingers, anything can really happen. So yeah, thanks so much for joining me today. And as we head out, I'll just you know open the floor to you and tell people where they can find more of your coverage. Sure. So you can find uh, my work on LAFC at angelsonparade.com and my work on the Galaxy at lagconfidential.com, both part of the SB Nation network. You can find me on Twitter at Soccer Musings. Yep. Thanks so much. Your coverage is certainly uh, some of the top notch on these LA clubs. So really grateful to talk to you today and have a great day. Thank you. Massive thanks to Alicia. She is so knowledgeable on both those clubs and you know, she brings so much to that conversation that I could never dream of bringing. So really, really appreciate her input and having her on. So all done with the LA clubs and we'll move on to the Texas teams now with Chris Bills from the Striker. He mainly covers Austin, but I'll pop him some questions about Dallas and Houston, too. It'll be so nice to talk to him again because he's you know, so knowledgeable about the entire soccer scene down there in Texas. So that'll be awesome. After that, I'll recap all of this with our guy, Matt. But first, here's Chris Bills. So, hey, guys, uh, this is my interview with Chris Bills. You guys have heard him before on the pod, the first guest. Uh, he's made his return to talk about Austin, but also uh, Dallas and Houston, all those Texas teams and their transfers that they've made in the last uh, couple months. So, Chris, welcome back in. How's it going? Yeah, Joey, thanks for having me. Uh, glad to hear things are still going well and, and glad to be the second guest. I'm honored. <laughs> thanks, thanks. Um so yeah, I guess we'll just start with Emiliano Rigoni, um, Argentinian uh, defender, right? He came in um, more recently, uh, summer signing for the club. I guess just first of all, how do you think he's going to you know, fit into the, I guess, the train that Austin already has rolling? Because so far it's been pretty good this season. Yeah, no, it feels like a bit of a, you know, I don't want to say luxury signing. They, they, you know, they were down to two DPs most of the season. Um, you know, after Susana Dominguez's uh, off-field incident, uh, you know, do- domestic uh, dispute with his ex-partner that uh, was investigated, he ended up being re- reinstated by MLS. But Austin FC, uh, you know, went ahead and decided to move him on. So uh, they mutually agreed to terminate his contract toward the end, end of July. He goes. He's he's now at uh, Santos in Mexico, um, and you know, as it you know, sort of you know, played out, we, we started to hear reports out of Argentina that Emiliano, Emiliano Ragoni are more out of Brazil. He, he's Argentinian, but he was playing in the Brazil league for Sao Paulo FC. He's a, he's a winger. Um, he'll come in as a designated player reports are $4 million transfer fee. So it's the second biggest, uh, fee that Austin has paid for, for a player. And, uh, the big thing with him is that he was teammates actually with Sebastian Jerusi. Uh, at FC Zenit in St. Petersburg in Russia. 
Um, those two go back, uh, you know, quite a long ways and obviously both from Argentina. So you get more of that Argentine vibe with Austin FC. Of course, Maxi Arruti is also there. Um, and, you know, I think that the hope is that he comes in and kind of hits the ground running. He had a great start with, I think, 11 goals in his first season with Sao Paulo uh, and then just sort of dropped off. Um, you know, a big reason for that was a coaching change. Um, and so, uh, you know, he, he hasn't had a lot of playing time since, I think, October of last year, but he's 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 a good player. I mean, he, he went to Zenit. Uh, and he's bounced around in, I think, La, La Liga, Serie A, um, you know, all around all around Europe on, on different loan stints. Hasn't really stuck anywhere. So I think the hope is that he comes in with Sebastian Drusi and they're able to tear things up. Uh, you know, he'll probably have 10 games or less to prove himself and then the playoffs. Uh, and like you said, Austin doesn't really need, um, you know, much more than they have. But long term, they obviously want to use that those designated player spots. And, you know... It, Things have been great for Austin, but it hasn't been perfect. And so, you know, it's it's always good to have a big another big piece in the fold and, and see what see if they can build around that. Yeah, yeah. I slipped earlier. He was a defender. No, no, he's an attacker. Um I, I am interested in, you know, kind of getting your take on how he fits in because, you know, Austin, like we said, it's it's kind of the rich get richer in a way. We when we first talked, they'd beaten Cincy five nil and we're like, this is not gonna be the case moving forward. It hasn't been five nil. You know, in the grand scheme of things, especially for a young club in Austin, it's been pretty good. Uh, and so, how do you think he's going to fit in with the attack? You mentioned he was teammates with Driussi, but also incorporating you know the other star pieces that they have up top. Yeah, so as Josh Wolf, uh, you know, said in an interview that you, you can find on thestriker.com, dot uh, com, he talked a little bit about how he plans to use Rigoni more on the right wing. Uh, you know, so obviously you've got Diego Fagundes who's been holding down the left, um, and then Max Ruti up top. Sebastian Drussi sort of floating in behind uh, that front three. And then you got, you'll have Rigoni playing on the right side and sort of holding that down. The right, the right wing has been a position of need for Austin just because Ethan Finley, you know, getting older, but he, you know, he's been very productive this year. Um, you know, had sort of a slow start. Owen Wolf actually came in the 17 year old and started playing quite well uh, on that right wing, but he's, you know, he's a guy who's going to mix it up and, and, you know, get involved in tackles and, you know, he doesn't have a ton of goals or assists. Ethan Finley's, you know, better on that production for that side. But, you know, I think that what it allows is more balance because the way that Diego Fagundes and Sebastian Drussi play on the left side for Austin FC, they're sort of interchangeable. Um, you know, they're sort of floating in and out of midfield, in and out of that wing. And Rigoni's more of a true winger. He's going to, you know, provide that vertical verticality. Uh, you know, he's going to swing in crosses. And, and one thing that Josh Wolf really likes about him and, and so have all the coaches and, and people that have a chan- had a chance to watch and, and work with Rioni is the fact that you can't really tell which foot is his stronger foot. He'll shoot with his left coming off that right wing. He'll cross with his right coming off that right wing. And, and you know, he can really, um, you know, ping a ball with either foot. So I think that's what they're excited for. And, and just the fact to have some, some more speed and, and more skill on that right side uh, to sort of balance things out with this, with Jerusi and, and Fagunas on the other side. Yeah. And in Rigoni, we're talking about a player who's played, you know, you know, some of the top leagues in the world as well. And that just knowledge and insight is bound to help. I am interested in like, obviously Rigoni's a big signing, but then at the same time, they hadn't really, you know, bolstered any other positions. It was really just Rigoni that was the focus, um, really, at least the main guy. So, yeah, I am 
interested in getting your take on why they didn't really push for any other signings, and do you think that that could come back to bite them later in the season? Well, I mean, the biggest reason is they're they're second on the table, right? <laughs> you, if it ain't break, broke, don't fix it. I think you know some fans and and myself included were were kind of uh, you know hoping or wondering if they might look uh, to bolster the fullback position. Uh, that was something that was sort of a you know we thought an area need coming into the season. Uh, Hector Menez just went down with a groin injury, so he's out for I think another you know three or four weeks uh, while he heals up from from surgery, um, and you know. Really, it's just Nick Lima holding down the right side, and John Gallagher has been a surprise and has been really good on the left side, uh, you know, at left back, and and Sean Kolmanich is also there. So maybe they just didn't feel that they needed as much. And plus, senior roster is full. Um, you know, I do wonder if they kick the tires on a few trades here and there, but we don't. Uh, you know, Austin's pretty close when it comes to that kind of stuff. So it, you know, if you notice, it's not even like Tom Boger or anybody in the MLS circles is getting a lot of scoops when Austin's involved in things, unless it comes from the other side. So. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if they were maybe kicking the tires on a, on a deal or two that just fell through. But uh, like you said, they, they bring in Washington Caruso uh, on the wing. They bring in Emilio, Emiliano Regani on the wing. Uh, and that's really all the moves that they're going to make. And they're going to try and make this, you know, end of season push into the playoffs. They're almost guaranteed to be in the playoffs at this point. It's just a matter of whether they can get a home game and if they can make it make a deep run or not. Uh, this team has, has had a special run this year. Yeah, obviously, uh, you know, second in the West, third in the Supporter Shield standing. So, you know, sitting, sitting pretty right now. Um, and I think it is clear this is a team that is capable of making a run. Uh, just last thing on Austin, you know, do you think that with this, you know, kind of embarrassment of riches up top, it does, you know, and this has been talked about in Austin circles, I know, allow, you know, Alex Rin to, you know, drop deeper and have that more supporting from a defensive midfield role, Danny Pereira, like those guys you know, have a little more freedom because they know that attack is going to, you know, carry a lot of the weight. Yeah. I mean, I think that we've seen that already a bit this season, Alex Ring, you know, performing more of, uh, you know, the role that, that we expected him to, you know, sort of uh, almost more of a double pivot, pivot at times, but he does still get forward. And I don't think that this necessarily, you know, like we talked about, Rigoni comes in and he'll really just be, you know, another piece to add to the, to that front line. It's not like you're going to bump back one of the midfielders. So, uh, yeah, I mean, that that's part of it. But also, you know, I think that this is a signal to the rest of the league that Austin, similar to exactly a year before they signed Ragoni, they signed Sebastian Jeruzzi. And that was the moment to me that signaled, okay, Austin's actually here to spend. They're here to play. Uh, you know, they're here to be, you know, you know, to be reckoned with near the top of MLS. And, and Ragoni, again, $4 million signing. I think that they learned from their early lessons with, you know, Tomas Pochettino, you know, comes in, you know, lower NDP, two point, you know, $2 million transfer fee, you know, it doesn't quite work out. He goes back on loan to River Plate. Uh, Cecilia Dominguez comes in two, two and a half million dollar transfer fee. Uh, you know, you, we can argue about how good he was on the field, but, you know, he wasn't indispensable, right? And so, you know, he leaves, uh, he leaves the club. So they've had some swings and misses, but this feels like a guy to me that, you know, is they're paying – you know, they're paying, you know, not top dollar, but they're paying, you know, what you'd expect for a team near the top of the table, $4 million transfer fee for, you know, a secondary uh, designated player. You know, Sebastian Drusi is going to be the star for as long as he's here. And we don't know how how much longer they're going to be able to hold on to him if he keeps playing like this. That's the big question, I think, going forward with Austin FC. But as long as he's here, my God, this dude is, he's for real. And, and if, you know, you can add a little bit more Argentine connection, make him feel more at home. Why not do it? That's money well spent, I think, by the front office of Austin FC. 
Yeah, and you know, a few weeks ago, my co-host and I basically came to a consensus that right now he's the MVP, and then he proceeded to have that game against the Red Bulls where he scored two bangers. He's on fire. So yeah, that's basically all um, I'm interested in for Austin. I guess the other two Texas teams, you know, Rigoni is obviously a massive transfer, but these two may hit a little closer to home because of the CONCACAF connections and everything. And I'll start with Dallas, which I maybe this wasn't out of nowhere and you know a little bit more than I do, but it seemed pretty just, you know, it just kind of hit, I was it Tuesday or Wednesday, that Sebastian Legette was going to make the move from New England uh, to Dallas. Uh, he made the move to New England uh, for, it was a 500K minimum in GAM, rising to 1.3 mil based on his performance. And then six months later, off again to Dallas uh, for 600K in GAM. He has a few USMNT caps and obviously a a ton with a Galaxy. Uh, But I am interested in why. Why legit? Why throw him in there to a midfield that's already pretty crowded? I guess just why? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I I think that, again, this is is the new FC Dallas. This is a team that, you know, they went out in the offseason. You know, we've been... You know, begging for them for them to spend at the top end of the roster. They go out get they get Paul Ariola. Uh, they make Jesus Ferreira a DP, and and he's delivered on that on that tag. And um, you know, they've they've really you know stepped it up this season to go along with obviously their core of homegrowns and and other pieces. And I think that this is the kind of move that yeah, it was shocking on the surface, or it was it was surprising I think on the surface. But as you go look deeper into it, it makes sense. He he's been playing. Uh, on the wing for Bruce Arena, you know, not necessarily his best position and probably wasn't quite as happy there leading into the World Cup. And, you know, of course, um, you know, I think it's going to be, I think, I, I think this is just a great move for FC Dallas. You're adding another, you know, U.S. men's national team piece to this, this team that's already, you know, to me, I, they're, they're the third best team I've seen so far in the West. Now, I haven't seen uh, Nashville yet, but, you know, this team is, this team is is one of the better teams I think in MLS that is going to be a team to be reckoned with. I don't really know what happened to them during this summer slog where they you know they went seven straight you know without a victory. But uh, you know Dallas, as far as I'm concerned, is a team uh, that should compete to win the Western Conference when we get to playoff time. So you know Sebastian Lejet's just another piece to help them on that way. Yeah, and I I think your points well taken about Dallas. You know, there's they, they've looked really really good at points. They've looked if he at points as well. And I think that, that, you know, inconsistency is what they're trying to kind of neutralize at this point. I think also it's just cause the West race is so crowded. Really. When you get below Austin, I mentioned this with Tim earlier, the difference between third place and ninth place is five points with games in hand in there as well. So it's so tight. And so Dallas has kind of fluctuated. I think there were sixth, seventh at one point they're back up to fourth now. So definitely interesting. What do you think is going to be their, main midfield three because they have Pomacle, Cervania, they have Cerio, Ensembling, now you add in Legette to the mix. That's five midfielders that I could realistically see starting any given game for this team. So do you know what um, Nico Estevez's preferred three is and what would you say as well? I mean, it's a good problem to have, right? You'd always rather have that be the issue than the other way around. And, you know, I've heard people kind of say that uh, it's going to be you know, more of, of Pomacall and, uh, you know, and legit at that, those, those eights with surreal and behind, I think you could go maybe a little bit more attacking if, if you wanted to, um, you know, in certain spots, get more defense defensive in certain spots. I think it's just a, a great problem for, for Estevez to have. And especially when you've got that, that front line 
transpiring where they are with, um, you know, Alan Velasco, who I didn't mention another big offseason signing by them uh, that, that has performed pretty well. And, and then, you know, Jesus Ferrer and, and Paul Ariola. I think that, you know, that's a, that's a, you know, that's a core that you know, those names that I just named, I, I think that sounds like compared to where FC Dallas was a year ago, it's night and day, right? I think. Yeah, definitely night and day, especially, you know, I think the main one for me has been Ferreira's breakout, but also adding Ariola in there gave a really consistent piece um, next to Jesus. No, I agree with that. I guess finally with Dallas, like, I'm not sure if this like being the one main move makes them levels better, but do you think that this puts them in a like substantially better position to make a run for the cup? Or do you think like, even though it might put them in a slightly better position, no, it's so so at the end of the it's, day. Well, it's still going to hinge. I think their the, their biggest issue is still their biggest issue, which is the the back line, right? And and it, can you get consistent performances from Matt Hedges and and uh, you know the rest of the guys on that back line? I mean, Hedges has been good. Um, I think they've had you know a bit of an issue, uh, you know, getting Nanu settled at right back, and you know, and and I think Farfan's been good when he's healthy, but you know, he hasn't quite been healthy for the whole season. Um, and, you know, then it comes down to, to, you know, whether Martinez is, is, you know, going to be able to, to carry the load at center back. And I think that's, to me, that's the biggest issue. And that's where I was a little bit surprised that Dallas didn't go, go in that direction. Uh, I, you know, similar to Austin, I, I think they probably kicked the tires. There's maybe just not that many, you know, reserve defenders or, you know, starting level defenders to go around in this league right now. Um, and that's not surprising when you, you know, you're adding teams every, every year. I was, you know, I don't want to get into a tangent, but I was sort of talking to somebody in Kansas City about about their problems this year. It's like, well, Peter Ramiz has spent years building his team out of players that, that you know other teams maybe didn't want or that were maybe undervalued, and all of a sudden now there's 28 teams, and there's more teams like Colorado and Montreal that are going that route. So you're going to run out of guys eventually, and I think FC Dallas has maybe run into that problem a little bit as they you know as they you know move on so many players, and you know they're going to be lighter in certain spots, and that the back line's been you know a little bit lighter this year, and, and hasn't quite carried the load. But I think Legette definitely helps with the goal production, but I'm not sure that he's going to help solve the the main issue for for FC Dallas. So we'll see if they can you know pull a little bit more consistency out of that group going toward the back back stretch of the season. Yeah, and especially that consistency because we've seen they've had a few late game collapses recently. Maybe this is a more depth move as well that can help bolster that and you know add another piece off the bench, whether it be you know legit moving somebody to the bench that can then come in. But yeah, I I mean I guess we were talking earlier with you know, Alicia Rodriguez and in, in LAFC is kind of that one team that has so much depth at center back. So like it, it, most teams don't have that kind of depth defensively except LAFC, which is. Uh, you know, embarrassment of riches uh, from their perspective as well. And so I guess that's basically all for Dallas. And last but not least, we'll move on to Houston. Their big move being the one that was announced way back in March and European season had to finish for Hector Herrera, Achayache to come in as on a DP deal, came from Atletico Madrid, where he had 77 appearances. He had over 200 appearances at Porto before that. So he's an absolute legend in Mexico and in CONCACAF. Uh, he, he subbed on against Dallas. Uh, it, that was his first appearance uh, in that two-two draw. He played five games so far without a goal contribution. Uh, excuse me, a goal contribution to show for it. I guess at the end of the day, because he's a little older, do you think that this is a good move for Houston, at least in the short term? And then, I guess long term, projecting out, how long do you think he's going to be able to stay at this club and produce? Yeah, I mean, I think they probably got him for for you know at least a couple seasons or, or this season and, and through next season. My big question with Houston isn't necessarily the move for Hector Herrera. I think it was a great move when you talk about marketing, when you talk about filling 
putting people in the seats. I, I you know, I, I can't argue with that in the biggest, one of the biggest markets MLS has. And it did move the needle when, when he got, got here, that, that game against, against FC Dallas was, I think the best atmosphere they've had in, in years in that building. And, and my question for the front office and, and for, you know, everybody at Houston Dynamo is you knew all season long that Hector Herrera is coming, Hector Herrera is coming. And for whatever reason, uh, you know, we thought that he was going to be the point and blood piece that could maybe take them to the next level. And it's been completely the opposite that this, this club has, you know, fallen, you know, fallen on its face in another big moment. And you've really got to start looking around, uh, you know, and, and wondering why, I mean, they don't really have the Academy set up, you know, they're, their core of players that they've got right now hasn't necessarily proven to be, you know, bought in, you know, day in, day out. You know, they've got pieces like Karaskia, um, you know, and, you know, even Fafa Pico at times I think has been pretty good. Um, you know, of course, they went out and got uh, Sebastian Ferreira, uh, the, the Paraguayan forward, and he hasn't had a lot of service. It's just a weird team, man. When when you look at you know what Houston's trying to build and the fact that they knew that they had this big piece coming in, and they didn't surround him with the things that he needed to to have success, it's really it bums me out. It bums me out when I think about this the, the opportunity that Houston had right on a platter, and and you know it's not Hector Herrera's fault that they that you know they've been playing poorly. It's you know it's everybody else's fault that that didn't surround him. And, and hasn't, you know, stepped up to the plate. Um, and it's hard to really even blame one person when it comes to that because they've, they've kind of retooled the front office. I think Ted Siegel's trying to spend, but it's also proof that, uh, you know, Joey, and I think you know this, you know, from following this league as closely as you do, is like these big DP signings are great, but it's one player. You've got to build a core. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It does matter, you know, about teams spending more money, but it's also how well are you building that core around them, um, and that's what what Houston has gotten so horribly wrong. It seems. Yeah, it does seem like that, and it's weird. They just play my union. Obviously, got smacked. Uh, oh man, that was brutal uh, for me. Well, it was quite enjoyable actually, but for <laughs> a Houston's point of view, yeah, not, not enjoyable whatsoever. Um, I, the thing that's interesting to me about this team is like on paper, it doesn't look that bad. Like that yeah. midfield looks pretty good. The front line looks pretty good. Not a cup contender, but a team that you could see, you know, in, in their you know sixth, seventh position. I mean, Darwin Serena is on the bench and we're talking about a really good player for El Salvador. Um, it, it just like that kind of disconnect. It just doesn't seem to ever really come together yeah and, and that's where i mean yeah. first first year coach in palo nagamura and i think you want to give him time uh you know but there's something in the culture of the Houston dynamo that i think has sort of seeped in over the last few years that you know they just don't have that togetherness they don't have that that x factor that extra bit to work for each other that that for instance that you've seen with austin fc that they've been able to build in just two seasons. And, you know, like I said, it just bums me out when I think about what Houston Dynamo could be. And, and the fact that they went out and did this thing that we want to applaud them for, we want to say, yes, finally you went in and brought a star. And then they just, you know, they go lose six, nothing to, to fill it off the union. And it's just like, Oh man, this is, this is getting worse by the minute. Yeah. And they've had a few performances this season that have looked, you know, semi hopeful that that comeback versus Dallas, like, Oh, maybe they do have a little bit of life. And now they're sitting 12th, seven points out of a playoff position. It's going to be a long shot. I doubt that they have any shot to make the playoffs, but in that perfect scenario where somehow they come back and they do make the playoffs, 
what would have to fall into place between now and then for that to happen? Yeah, I mean, I think it's like, I don't know, it's going to be one of those situations where we get a story, Victor Ariza, you know, gets a story out about this players only meeting that guys were throwing up each other up against lockers and really showing that they like, that's the kind of thing that I think it's going to take because like you said, I think they've got all the pieces uh, that they, that they need. It looks like a fine team on paper. Maybe they would like to have, you know, they brought in this young, young winger and I think Victor was pining for somebody a little bit, you know, more experienced, but you no, know, these guys are good enough. They just don't seem, there's too many guys. It seems that are kind of cashing a paycheck and moving on uh, through Houston. And, and we'll see if they can, sort of sort that out but you know that's what it would take i think is just these guys really buying in and making the playoffs their goal and not just the goal of everybody that talks about houston dynamo maybe that's a little bit too harsh because no i i mean it might be slightly harsh but i mean actually i because they have the pieces you know it's one of those things where you sit back and you say this team should be a little bit better or they should be showing a little more consistency than they are uh last question i guess do you think that Houston should have addressed other spots? Do you know if they were looking to address other spots? Because you know, at this point, it, it still doesn't look completely fixed at all. Yeah, I mean, I think that they're like like they like any everybody else in the, in the summer window. I think their their senior roster is pretty full. They they were able to, uh, you know, and this uh, this kid's name is escaping me, but the, the young winger that they just uh, added to the roster. Um, yeah, I mean, that's probably the position that they were looking in and they just weren't able to, to either get a big money center or get somebody from within the league. Um, but, you know, it seems like they're just kind of... They were planning like we thought they should be for Hector Herrera Hector coming in and, and, you know, sort of plugging him in and that being the solution. And it just doesn't seem to be panning out that way. No, not at all. Uh, Chris, thank you so much for joining me to talk through all the Texas teams and I'll, you know, hand it over to you. You can plug, you know, where people can find you. Cause I know that it's been a crazy last couple of months for you. Yeah. Thanks. Uh, yeah, you can obviously find me, uh, on Twitter at Chris bills, but also, you know, the striker, the striker.com is no longer just the striker, Texas. Uh, so you can find us on Twitter at the striker news and then the strike is just the striker.com. And we've got coverage now, um, you know, of not just, like I said, not just the Texas teams, but NWSL and MLS in, in Los Angeles, the so Southern California. We've got coverage, uh, all three LA teams plus San Diego Wave, uh, and then Atlanta United with Jay Sam Jones, who's, uh, you know, been one of my favorite <laughs> favorite ads. No, no shade to anybody else, but, you know, Sam is just so great and uh, I've been loving following what he's doing on Atlanta United. So definitely check that out and see what we have uh, next in store because I don't think we're going to stop here. Yeah, you're great. The entire team's awesome, you know, and I think that expansion is pretty awesome, especially when you're talking about adding pieces like J. Sam Jones, who's a legend. Uh, yeah, it's so cool and awesome to see where, where you guys have got to at this point and where you guys are going to go. So thanks so much for joining me, and uh, good luck to Austin through the rest of the season, I guess. Yeah, thanks, Joey. I hope my season's not over till November 5th, but we'll see how that plays out. Yeah, we will see. Judging by how Austin's playing right now, uh, you know, don't make your vacation plans any uh, anytime soon. For sure. All right, thanks, man. So, wow. We just covered so, so much. Thanks to Chris Bills for that awesome coverage of the Texas teams. Check him out on uh, The Striker. Uh, just an, a wealth of 
of knowledge on all those clubs. So, and, re- and really appreciate that the strikers expanded and continuing that awesome coverage, you know, throughout the league at this point. But yeah, uh, I'm here to recap uh, basically all the other stuff with Matt. Uh, what has been a crazy episode so far, and it's probably just going to get crazier just because of all the random stuff that there is to touch up on before we head out of here on really the first special pod that we've done um, on MLS Benched. And I guess we'll start, Matt, in really the only place that there is to start, dropping uh, like near noon uh, this after or today that Christian Benteke on one of those like last hour kind of moves um, is coming to DC United on, on the surface, a, a Premier League striker um, who you know has produced uh, in the PL, but you know, you dive deep into it just on the you know, very surface level and DC's got themselves a problem on their hands. This, this roster built by DC United genuinely has me mad uh, because there is absolutely no balance through their squad. So we talked about, or you're talking about uh, Christian Benteke coming in, obviously Christian Benteke coming in is probably going to be a good move in the the quality of a striker that he is and, and where this league is at. But you also, in this same window, brought in Miguel Berry. You have Michael Estrada in on loan. You have Ola Kamara, who you have not been able to sell off. You have Nigel Roberta. I, I don't get it, and it's really kind of making me mad because it does not make any sense from a roster build perspective. Unless there is something coming down the road, down the road, which there absolutely could be, they could be, you know, finding ways to get rid of some of these players. It's, it makes no sense, especially when you consider that that's not necessarily their biggest deficiency at this point. Uh, DC United right now, um, they've scored about twenty eight goals lower side of, of, of across the league. They have shipped 47. 47 goals this season, and you bring in David Ochoa, but there's not the, the resources that you need. You get rid of Julian Gressel, who, you know, maybe not the most uh, defensive wingback, but a solid one. So I I am just really confused in in this move. What do you think, Joey? It's just the fact that they have five strikers who are I don't think any of them are world beaters necessarily. Toxie Funtas maybe the exception there because he has scored a few times. But I mean, we talk about Funtas, Estrada, uh, Ola Kamara, uh, Miguel Berry, who they signed in the window. And now bringing in Benteke is just, on any team, this would be almost an embarrassment of, if not Rich's depth. But I think all those players are definitely, you know, starting level players in this league on some team. And certainly on DC, who has shown themselves to basically be the bottom team in the league. The question for me is just like, why? Like, it just, I, I could just say everything that you said. It just doesn't. 
fundamentally make sense. You don't need five strikers when you're shipping goals left and right. Like they had a nice little come from behind win and Wayne Rooney's first um, game back uh, or first game in uh, against Orlando that we talked about uh, on the last pod, but then they lose three nil at Charlotte uh, on Wednesday night. It was, it just, it's not a sustainable way to go moving forward and they need defensive help. Why not sign a defender? I'm sure that they could have gotten someone from somewhere but they just don't address it. Do you have anything more on this? It, it just gives me some pretty major concerns where their front office is, is looking at the best way to use the resources because we've seen teams in, in the limitations that are on Major League Soccer do good things by being creative about the way that they go ahead and make that balance happen. I, I'm down the road in this pod. I'm going to give credit to Inter Miami, who I think having the restrictions placed on them from them doing bad roster building has made them better at roster building. So this is the exact opposite. You have every ability to put something together well. This is not it. DC, I am really concerned about. They made a few good signings. I think like Ravel Morrison, it could turn out to be a good signing. Definitely a talented uh, midfielder. It just on, on the whole, and obviously losing Gressel in the way that they did. Obviously Gressel's not happy at all about it. Um, yeah, just a little confusing. And DC's a a major club in this league still. And, and when they start winning, they can. I think that they can fill that stadium, and I think that they can get back to you know one of those like founding clubs, kind of the the lore around DC in that early you know early nineties or late nineties rather early you know first years in the league. But the first man, dynasty, it, the, yeah, first the, the, the first dynasty. dynasty. Um, but it, that seems a long way off at this point, unfortunately. Uh, but yeah, Benteke uh, to DC United. Um, that's a rather big move still to talk about. Uh, we can move on. Uh, Matt Miazga today, a lot of these deals made just before the deadline starting to be uh, filtering in now. Uh, Matt Miazga was confirmed today going to FC Cincinnati, really the second of that, you know, post Kuva USMNT center back pool, or I guess a little bit pre Kuva too, uh, to be brought in uh, to FC Cincinnati. The first being Jeff Cameron, um, and now Miazga in technically from Chelsea, where he was, uh, that was still the parent club for him. He got loaned out a few times. Uh, what do you think this means for Cincy, Matt? Do you think that this can, I guess, stop those uh, 4 4 results from happening? Uh, and do you think that this could maybe be one of the moves that starts to solidify them as a potential playoff team? I, I think it's the second signing that is doing this. Uh, the first one being uh, Obinanwana. I'm absolutely not saying that. I apologize. Nabuano um, or something like that? I don't know. I, I will have to look that up. Apologies again. <laughs> um, this is really, really good from Cincinnati. Because looking at some of their stats across the league, they are about 42 goals scored against. That puts them up. You know, There's only about five or six teams that have more than 40 goals scored on them. But you have an incredible attack, and if they can go ahead and slot Miazga in, and he plays at the level of a Max Tam center back, this significantly improves this team. 
Cincinnati is one of the teams that I have, you know, gold star next to them. They addressed the biggest need that they had. Yeah, and I, I, I think maybe it was Tom Bogert, and maybe just this can be our little shout out to Tom Bogert. Just does absolutely amazing work. If if you want to know anything about the goings on in MLS, just just follow him. That that's basically all you have to do. Major shout out to Bogert. Uh, we love him. Um, but I think it was him who mentioned that. You know, Cincinnati got over like three hundred thousand dollars in GAM just by moving down from spot one to spot two in the allocation order, and was able to also bring in Nick Hagland as well. Now they get Miazga. You know, d- addressing that defensive, you know, aspect was always going to be the question for them, and they seem to have made the moves that are, are approaching basically all what we knew that they had to do. Like, I can't really envision a much better window for fc cincinnati can you no and and i think the biggest thing that i have to give them a compliment on is this seemed like a really really mature window this was a window where they did not say oh my gosh we're 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 decent what's going on how do we how do we get even better it was we're decent what do we need to get to where we're good and then keep on building that's good roster building right having Santos as that Sergio Santos from Philly coming as the backup for Vasquez at that striker position. You still have those, you know, ta- uh, talented um, forwards that we talked about in the last pod. And, you know, you got Brenner, you have Barrial, um, obviously Acosta in the middle, uh, Obina Wobodo, I-, I think may- might be how you say it. Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's, it, uh, sorry, again, if we're butchering that uh, extra time, did a good thing on him. I remember a few weeks back as well and his contributions. Um, also, a quick note on FC Cincinnati before we move on. Uh, I know this is crazy. We're just flashing through, but you know what? This is fun, so let's just keep doing it. Um, this weekend is going to be Harris Madunian in his last game, incidentally, against the Union uh, before he moves back, I think, to be closer to family um, in Europe. So uh, just shout out Harris Madunian and all that he's done for the league, both Philly and Cincy. Just an absolute stud there in the uh, midfield. Um, and, and he'll play his final game at home against the Union this Saturday. Um, so that's going to be an interesting one to watch. Uh, we can move on from Cincinnati now. Um, oh, uh, yeah, quickly. Uh, Legit shipped out of New England, as we talked about with Chris Bills, but coming into New England via LAFC, via, what was it, NYCFC, Ismael Tajori Shroudy, um, I guess via Charlotte, too, because he was... You know, a Charlotte player yeah. for, what, a couple of hours? Yeah, he's had a crazy last few months. But Ismail Tajari Shradi is going to New England. Um, again, I don't know if it's going to be enough to see New England over the top, but we've seen Tajari Shradi being a, a talented attacker in this league in the past. I think the question now is, can he get those starting minutes that he really hasn't gotten at all in his MLS career? Yeah, I, I, I think that this is a solid move. It's It gives them a more known quantity uh, in, in place of Dylan Barrero, who started hot, but has kind of cooled off a little bit. So hopefully having that additional option gives heel more, more uh, talent around him gives uh, Bo somebody to play off of, and maybe that can help set up some more uh, goals for Brioni. I think the, uh, the thing with new England is like, they're, they're only two points off a playoff spot. And they have a game in hand. So it, it just felt like a really slow start to the season. Maybe when you juxtapose that with 
last season and maybe the expectations that we had coming in. It's also just like a fundamentally different team. Adam Books is gone. Uh, Matt Turner is gone. So having some of those guys, you know, out the door might have, you know, soured our outlook on this team. But yet they're still right there and they could, uh, you know, theoretically come into the playoffs. But yeah. And I I do want to give New England a bit of a shout out for knowing the right time to move on from from players at times too. Yeah. Uh, moving on from Sebastian Letjet was the right move by the club. It was also the right move by the player, in my opinion. So good choice, similar with Josie Altador. These are good choices being made by the front office. That props to New England on that. Yeah, definitely props uh, to New England on that. Um, also, Christian McCoon, I think, came in in the last couple of days. That news kind of got obscured by all the other crazy stuff that's going on. Um, especially, you know, that defensive position, maybe they can uh, use him as some depth because they've got that back line pretty established at this point, but I guess we'll see. I think the thing is that they just haven't been that exciting on the eye, and they weren't really last season, but also last season they broke the supporter shield record, so at least there was something there. Um, okay, we can move on from that. A couple players returning uh, from, you know, their European exploits. We'll start with Richie uh, Larea coming back to Toronto. I heard it might be on a loan, but he went to Nottingham Forest uh, over the winter, and it just never really uh, panned out for the Canadian international. He's back at Toronto. I'm interested to see what he can do with that team. Absolutely. Um, the, the, apparently, there were two teams vying for him in Major League Soccer, one obviously being Toronto. The other was Dallas, which I think would have been a really, really cool fit. I think that would have improved that team. But I totally understand getting Reggie back to the six, getting him playing time ahead of the World Cup. That's a good move. Yeah, it's going to be crucial because I really don't see him not being on that Canadian roster, at least fighting for it. Um, but not playing at Forest uh, wouldn't have helped his case at all. And maybe he felt that pressure. Uh, maybe he felt that he might not uh, make up the, make that roster, that his spot might be in jeopardy. So that's interesting as well. Um, obviously, adding another really solid piece that we've seen is well-established in this league uh, to that team in Toronto that already has um, you know the, those stars that they brought in that we've talked about. Uh, Red Bulls as well, also kind of at that right-back spot. Um, Kyle Duncan coming back from Ustend, I guess, I think is how you call it. Uh, it's a loan, according to Tom Bogert. He made seven appearances, um, but he now he's back at New York. I, I, I'm wondering if you know this was a move just based off, off of like almost like a little homesickness or what, because he is a player that definitely has the uh, potential to play in Europe. We know he's a really solid player in this league, but the Red Bulls will be happy to have him back and will definitely help that uh, defense and uh, help you know kind of spring that attack along the right flank as they make their push for the playoffs. Yep, I uh, I agree with you 100%. I don't have a great uh, expectation for this move. I, Red Bulls have so much talent going through their system, but is this what's going to make them a, a playoff or a, an MLS Cup contender or not? I don't think so. I still think that they need somebody up top. So I, I still, decent window, not good enough. Yeah, I, I'm kind of with you there. They they definitely need at least more consistency up top. I For some reason, I'm kind of adverse to give up on Klamala just because like he does have that, what he could be 
is still kind of lingering in my mind, but he hasn't shown it yet. Also, like Lewis's, Lewis Morgan's contributions, Lequinas, they've kind of picked up the load, and it's been good enough to see Red Bulls. I mean, they're going to host a home playoff game as long as nothing you know tragic happens, but still, they were once top of the East, and now we're pretty far from that. So yeah, interesting there, but I like Kyle Duncan a lot, and um, definitely a really good right back in this league. Uh, we'll see what he can do coming back into that system. Uh, let's see, what else, what else? Nuno Santos, this is a different one. Not a player that we know a ton about, but a 23-year-old um, coming in uh, to Charlotte just uh, just from Benfica, where I think he was playing um, You know, the majority of his time with Benfica B, if I'm uh, not incorrect on that. Um, so a little bit of an interesting move. He, attacking midfielder according to transfer market so I, I guess we'll see what position he fills but with charlotte moving on from tt ortiz i feel like they had to bring in an attacker that they thought could help them immediately and i guess santos is their guy yeah and i i don't know how confident i am in that uh looking through his stats from the last couple of years in in the premier liga uh, seven goals, three assists in about, oh gosh, almost 5,000 minutes. It's, I'm not, I'm not there all the way yet. I, I think that it's obviously an area of need that they have, but I think at this point, I think it's still firmly a roster still under construction for Charlotte. Yeah, yeah, and let me clarify, he came up through the Benfica system, but then made a few um, loans out to other uh, Premier League clubs, including uh, Boa Vista and most recently uh, Pacos de Ferreira, I think is how you say it. So a player with some experience in the Portuguese top flight. We'll see if it amounts to anything. Um, I think there is a little bit of hype behind him because of his you know, age and you know that, I guess that you kind of... Yeah, the lure that comes with a young attacking player coming into this league that we've seen so many of in the recent years. We'll see what he can do. Um, I, I question whether it's going to be a massive impact with Charlotte. But like then again, and we've continued to talk about this with Charlotte, they just keep holding steady enough. They're seventh right now. Um, hang on by just a thread in that playoff race. It, it's really tight uh, for those last one, two, three spots um, in the East, but still, they're surviving, and I guess we'll see if they're able to survive long enough, um, but really good from the expansion side so far. Um, and as we're kind of ending our you know, little bounce around the league, I'll throw it to you, Matt, in a minute for anything that you want to touch up on. But this was a uh, thing that dropped this morning from uh, Felipe Cardenas. I think he was the first one to really talk about this. That um, Chivas uh, Guadalajara, the Mexican uh, giant, uh, here's what he said. Interesting report here regarding Brandon Vasquez. Uh, Chivas apparently approached FC Cincinnati about Vasquez based on on transfer markets, $550,000. Uh, dollar valuation of the player. FC Cincinnati asked for $5 million, which caught Chivas completely by surprise. This is just absolutely... This is like... SNL couldn't come up with this stuff. This is unbelievable. I... I know that Chivas has been in, in Vegas for uh, the League's Cup, but I think that they need to go back and run their numbers because that's not gonna cut it. 
5.50. Oh my gosh. But uh, the funniest thing is like this transfer market thing is something that we've seen go on. Literally, the um, uh, the, the Toronto president, uh, the reason why they bought Insignia is because he was looking up Italian players on transfer markets who had their uh, contract running out. That's why they ended up getting Insignia. This, I, I don't even know if this is a tactic or what, what I don't even know what to call it, but man... It, that it it's producing some comedy, especially now that uh, five million is the absolute lowest that you could uh, you know get Brandon Vasquez for, in my opinion. He's a he's a stud, still young, does everything right. But man, five hundred and fifty, that's that's absolute comedy gold. Um, before we close up shop on what's been an absolute whirlwind of an episode, and thanks for joining me here, Matt, uh, to you know kind of tie up all the loose ends. Uh, is there anything you want to talk about? Um, any transfers that uh we haven't because there's been so many the there are a couple um i want to just give a couple of shout outs to a couple of teams that i think made some pretty major strides in different ways um i'm looking specifically vancouver in the players that they brought in this or in this window this is some pretty inspired stuff from vanny sartini's side uh the idea of trying to get Julian Gressel, I think, is brilliant. We're talking one of the the best crossers ever in this league. Um, and so having his ability to drop a ball on Brian White's head, on Lucas Cavallini's head, giving a little bit more freedom to uh, Ryan Gold, that's significant. And then they're bringing in uh, Alessandro Schopp from uh, Armenia Bielefeld in Germany. This is a, a Bundesliga starter, and I think if you set him up next to Andres Kubas in, in that, uh, what is that, a 3-4-2-1, 3-4-3, that's a really, really good move. And I just, I think that if we're looking at what the teams came into this window as and what they're leaving, Vancouver has made the biggest gains. I am really impressed by this window. Um, and then shorter one, Philadelphia. Really, really, really good job at recognizing that they have talent coming up from their academy and they have the ability to go ahead and move on some some slightly older talent. But moving on, uh, Stuart Finley, in this case, to give Brandon Craig a time to play. Moving on, uh, Sergio Santos for both Paxton Aarons and, and uh, Jack McGlynn. That's a really, really good recognition of when your assets are at their highest capacity and the right time to go ahead and let go. Really, really good job from Philly. Yeah, I, I agree. And especially with McGlynn, um, he's, he's my favorite, one of my favorite soccer players, just period, because I love seeing the guys coming up from Philly uh, on the youth national team. Amazing. Just the, his exquisite passing is like, and I, I talked about this on a previous pod. Even when it's comparing it with the senior national team, there's not many players that compare what he can do with that left foot. Uh, that free kick goal was a thing of beauty, as we talked about. And also, uh, we mentioned on the last pod, bringing in Richard Odada, the defensive midfielder, and Abasa Aramea, the um, young Ghanaian, 18 years old, at center back. Once for the future, maybe, to kind of supplement those young academy players with young overseas players as well. Uh, should be really interesting to see... Um, 
what they do as well. But yeah, I agree. You know, freeing up that space um, for those youngsters to come in and flourish, particularly uh, McGlynn. What's it? Three straight starts now. Uh, he's been awesome. So yeah, that's basically all I have. Um, Matt, thanks so much for coming on with me. Uh, I hope that all the listeners, uh, you know, you guys like this episode. It's been a whirlwind. We've covered so much, um, but I, I am glad that we were able to kind of bring this thing to fruition on s- such a you know short notice. Literally this time, I'm recording this Friday night. This time yesterday, I was like, I, I got the idea to do this, and um, here we are finishing up what's been you know, probably the most crazy episode of MLS Benched yet. So thank you all so much for listening. Um, We'll see you probably next week at our normal time, uh, you know, Wednesday or Thursday to break down a packed weekend of MLS action, uh, a full slate of games. So should be just a ton, a ton of fun. So until then, enjoy life, enjoy the beautiful game, and uh, we'll see you then.